Hey friends, welcome to the Threadcast here, Ryan Smith. Hope that you're having a good, good day. Uh, It's kind of hectic around here. Both my older boys got out of school early, so if you hear some noise in the background, some of them are playing some Rocket League on the Xbox, some of them are jumping into the refrigerator and eating all our food. You know, fun times always around here. Uh, If you got kids, and especially teenage boys, you know that they're either eating or playing or sleeping, Um, maybe farting as well. But um glad you're back with us. We uh, took a couple weeks off for the Easter holidays and uh, just kind of doing some things there. But we are back into our Roman study, and uh, we've been talking about uh, replacing power and privilege with peace. And we've been walking through the book of Romans, but we've been doing it backwards. And the idea there was this idea that... Um, that Romans can be ignored really easily, which is all this theology. It was, a, it was written by a theologian for theologians, but there's so much more to it. And, and to get the context of what is in um, the front half of Romans, you kind of understand what was happening in the back half of Romans. And so um, in doing so, as we as we move into, we're now going to jump into Romans chapter 1. But before we do that, there's, there's uh, four themes that I want you to remember as we dive into this, because these themes will help us as we navigate um, the the passages ahead, the thoughts ahead, but they're all written with this um, these four themes in mind. Something that we need to keep in in, in retrospect or not retrospect in mind. So, um, so the first one is is the weak, and the concept of the you know there's a concept of weak and strong that you see in chapters what fourteen thirteen whatever that is around there twelve maybe, um, but you know the weak is a reference to um, the Jewish people. Um, and again, it's not because uh, it's not saying that necessarily that they are worse off, or whatever. But it's just this idea that you know there are Jewish people, um, Jewish Christians. They were tied to the Torah, and uh, they were tied to their heritage. And so for them, um, being a Christian meant that we follow the Torah, we do the things. We're very work bound, right? Um, and that we've we've always been the people who have have brought God into this world, and so we are the more special people out of the group. The other one is the strong, and these are the Gentile people. These are the Roman people, um, and these these people they're free of the Torah, but they also kind of feel privileged, right? Because they're taking the place of the Jews in their minds, um, and so they uh, they feel honored in that position, and they come from a Roman background, and so power and privilege is still something that they recognize. But they need to remember that God is not erasing the Jews; He's just expanding Israel. Um, and so you had the reference to the weak and strong. And, and the idea is that, is that in all of this, um, Paul is wanting to unite the two, that they become one full church. The other person to remember is Phoebe in the whole reading of Romans. And why that's so important is remember, Phoebe's the one that carried the letter to the churches in Rome. So she would have been the one that would have delivered the letter. She would have been the one that had been trained by Paul to memorize it, to act it out, to emphasize where it needed to be emphasized, to raise her voice, to be quiet when she needed to be quiet. But also when she's reading this or when she's reciting this, maybe from memory, um, she would look into her crowd and see that they're not quite getting it because we don't quite get it at times, right? And so she would have had to stop and she would have had to improvise. She would have had to um, fill in the blanks and help explain which Paul had, had probably given to her. And so she is the one that is the face of the gospel. She's the one that's the face of Paul when um, she's delivering this. And so she would have, you know, we think there's probably about five house churches in Rome. And so she would have done this at least five times. Um, And it probably would have taken all day to recite all of Romans and to go through the questions and do all those things. And so um, she was very well versed in this. But that's important to remember, especially in the context of back in those days and, and how women were thought of. 
And the last theme is this lived theology, right? Is that Paul wrote Romans not as a contextual or a textual book that was meant to just be thought about, but he's wanting the people, the people of Rome, to live out what he's talking about. He's wanting them to become one, to become a unified force, to become the church um, of, of what Jesus is trying to implement into this new world. And so the idea, everything that he writes is never meant to be just thought about, but to actually be lived lived out. And so we have to keep in mind that Paul is uniting the weak and the strong. Um, and as we read backwards, it helps us keep the theology that we're about to experience and to put it into perspective contextually before we apply it personally. That's super important that we understand what's how this applied to them. And then once we understand that, then we can apply it to us. And so today, we are going to um, just dive into the introduction of the book, which is kind of the, the beginning. It's kind of the welcome that all the writers back then would have. And so um, I want to encourage you, if you haven't already, to stop this podcast and to read chapter 1, verses 1 through 17. It's only 17 verses, so stop the podcast. Read those 17 verses. You might have to read them a couple of times, but just make yourself um, make yourself familiar with what, what uh, is being said there as we go through this. Because I'll read some of them, but I won't read all of it. All right, and so we start off as Paul is, is um, opening up the book, and he's wanting to introduce himself to the Romans. He's wanting to introduce himself to the Roman churches, um, to the people there. And so he says that I am a servant of Christ Jesus. And in this word servant, what's so interesting about that word is that first it just, it degrades his status as a human, right? Especially as being a Roman in the Roman Empire, that as, as claiming the, the idea of slave, um, of Christ Jesus, that, that degrades him, but then it also upgrades his status in connection to the world's true ruler. And there's some, some power in that. That word servant is doulos, and doulos is a word that if whenever I get a tattoo, that's one of the words I'm going to probably get tattooed on me because there's so much um, context in that word. It's, it's a great word. If you want to do some study or if you want to contact me about it, I'd love to share more with you about that word servant, doulos there. And so he recognized himself as a servant, but then he also calls himself an apostle. And to be honest, um, that word there translated here, it's, it's, it's just like slave. It's just like his, his idea is that I'm here to serve um, the kingdom, to serve the church that Jesus is building. And then he goes on to say, that's who I am, and then my mission is the gospel of God. Um, and so he's about the, the gospel. And so he, he dives into it here, and he reminds them what the gospel is. is the gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scripture. So this is the gospel that's been around since the beginning of time when the prophets talked about that he's just carrying that on. Um, and it's regarding his the Son of God, Jesus Christ, um, who as to his earthly life was a descendant of David. That's in reference to the Jewish people. They had to be part of the David kingdom. Um, and who through the spirit of holiness was appointed to the Son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. And so he's just recognized this is what the gospel is all about. It comes through Jesus Christ. And he uses these, this word, this phrase, Jesus Christ our Lord. Um, and the idea here, man, is that he's using that phrase to unite again the weak and the strong. So he uses the word Christ. So Jesus would have been his surname, his, his real name, right? Uh, Christ is not his last name. It's actually the Jewish title for Messiah. 
And so he uses the Jewish word Christ here, so he brings in the people who we consider the weak, right? The ones who have Jewish descent. But then he uses the word Lord here, which means ruler. And so this would have tied in the Roman, the Gentile people, who understand what it means to have a ruler. Um, someone that they that um, literally rules over them. So he, he gives the title Jesus Christ our Lord to again um, encompass everything he's trying to do about in Romans in uniting the Jews and the Gentiles. And then in verse 7 here, um, here's kind of his inclusion. It says, To all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be his holy people, grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. And so when he says to all in Rome who are loved by God, he is specifically referencing the Jew and Gentile people who make up the church, who are dedicated to the way to following Jesus Christ in Rome. And he's saying all of you, all of you, grace and peace to you from God our Father. From the from the we are one in this family. It's a very profound verse, seven verses um, um, to kick off a letter. Man, he packs so much in there already, but it's already laced with the with the the theme of unity, of oneness. And then in verses um, eight through thirteen, I'm not going to read it here. Um, he used some very personal language, and all the sentences, most of the sentences, I don't know all, I didn't count all of them, but the majority of the sentences start with I. I am this. I do this. I will do this. And what he's trying to do there, he's saying that he is invested in this church in Rome, that he's wanting you to know that he is a part of this, that he is going to be, that, that he's not just writing this letter and standing from afar, that he wants to be involved in their lives. And then he goes on to say, here is what my mission is about is that I am obligated both to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. That is why I am so eager to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome. And so he says, my mission is to Greeks and to non-Greeks, to the wise and to the foolish. He says, I'm here to serve everybody, not just one specific group. But then he goes, I'm eager to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome. So why is he eager to preach the gospel? Because, and I want you to hear this. Because a lot of times when we hear the phrase to preach the gospel, we think I'm going to go and evangelize those heathens, right? I'm going to save them. I'm going I'm to make them a part of God's church. But here, <clears throat> he's already recognized that the, the people that he's writing to, they're already a part of the family, right? They're already a part of God's church. So he's not writing this to convict them to to give their lives to God. No, for him to be a disciple, to be a follower, to be someone of the third way. You remember it's that whole live theology thing we've been talking about? Is that it's not just about giving your life to Christ in baptism, but it's about living. It's about having that maturity to take what you have heard, to take your, your faith and to live it out. And so he's writing to them to preach the gospel so that they can become people of live theology, people who live out what they believe and make it real. And so that's why he's so eager for them. And now, um, in verse 16, this is where we get to one of his most famous statements. And I'll read this to you. He says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. Because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. 
For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it was written, the righteous will live by faith. All right. So this is his understanding, kind of a brief overview of what the gospel is about. He says, first, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. And that word ashamed, it would have resonated with both the weak and the strong, with both the Jew and the Gentile Christian, you know. For the, for the Jewish Christian, um, they were linked to the Messiah, right? They would have understand that Jesus was the Messiah, but he was supposed to be from the line of David. But he was also supposed to come in and bring in this new kingdom like David and Solomon once had. And that didn't happen. And the Gentile or the, or the Roman Christian, you know, they understood power and privilege. They understood what it meant to have a Caesar. They understood what it meant to dominate, that the one who dominated was the one who set the kingdom in place. And so to claim a gospel that comes from Jesus Christ of Nazareth, who was crucified in the most horrific and embarrassing way, the most demeaning way, the most way that strips power from you, and to claim that that is my Savior, my ruler, that that, there could be some shame in admitting that. But Paul says, I'm not ashamed. And so that word, I am not ashamed, would have struck a chord in all of them immediately. And they would have heard that. And they would have been inspired by that. And then he goes on. He says, because it is the power of God that brings. So he he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. So then he's going to go and describe what the gospel is. And there's four things in here that I want you to see about the gospel. And this is going to kind of set the groundwork for the rest of Romans. But I want you to see the four things in here about the gospel, things we need to understand. The first word there is salvation. And you understand that the gospel saves. Now, first off, I want you to hear this. The gospel doesn't save, right? But it's God revealed in Christ who entered into our condition, became human. He died for us and was raised for our justification. Um, There's some some big church words, but there is this idea that we need to understand that people need to be saved. There is this idea that not everyone is right. Not everyone is in a good relationship with God. Now, a lot of times this has been used with guilt and shame, and it's been overdone, right? This idea that you are a sinner, that you are ugly, that you, and and there's truth, but there's not truth in that, right? And there's that balance here, this idea that I'm not enough just as I am, but there's also beauty in that. Um, and, and the thing to think about is not in the guilt and the shame, but more in the new creation that God has promised in us, that, that we become something new, that we are saved from our old ways, that that's what salvation is about. It's, um, that it's, it's a word that we need to reclaim, this idea that I need to be saved, that, that I need to be reinvented, that there needs to be a, a transformation or a metamorphosis, that we rejoice and that I'm not stuck in my old ways, that I can become something beautiful and something greater than I ever imagined, that that is what it means when the gospel saves. That's the promise. The second thing is that it says, bring salvation to everyone who believes. This word to believe is also a word for faith. And that belief or faith engages us, engages us in the concept of redemption. That in becoming new in the metamorphosis, that faith has to exist. So to believe or to have faith, it's not a work, right? It's not something we do, but a posture 
of trust and a surrender and allegiance. And in Romans, the opposite of faith, in the book of Romans, the opposite of faith is to practice the works of the Torah. Okay? Or doing the commands of Moses. And so for those, the weak, they had to push back from this really hard because they wanted to live out those commands. But what he's saying, it's not about living out those commands. It's about a surrender. It's about a trust in something greater than you are. The third thing that we learn about the gospel is that the first to the Jew, then to the Gentile, that the gospel saves Jews and Gentiles. And basically in that statement, he's saying everyone, everyone is saved. Now you have that word first to the Jew, and that doesn't represent a significance to God. It's not that the Jews are better than Gentiles, but what he's referencing there is a chronological way of how salvation was introduced to the fallen world. That it was introduced, you know, since, you know, the Garden of Eden, that, that, uh, the redemption plan was introduced through the Jews, but it was always meant to not just stay with the Jews, that salvation became through the Jews and then to the, to the rest of the world. And again, it's not a significance of importance of who sits closer to God. It's just simply this is how chronologically it was done. But the thing you need to hear, everybody, is that salvation is for everyone. And finally, the fourth thing about the gospel is that in God's own righteousness is revealed when the gospel is proclaimed. And that simply means that by just by offering the gospel through Jesus to Jews and Gentile is that God is being God, that God is being a right God, that God is being who he is, that he's being righteous and faithful, that he's continuing what he began with Abraham. And so by us proclaiming the gospel for Jew and Gentile, it truly reveals who God is. Now, isn't that amazing? Because a lot of times when we talk about salvation or being saved or sharing the good news, the essence of God is left out, right? That, that just the beauty of that, it becomes more about guilt and shame and holding things over people. And that has never been what the gospel has been about. There's been love and joy and, and, and transformation and, and metamorphosis has all been laced within the gospel. And that's who God is. And that's what the gospel is all about. And so, the gospel is, is a word that we shouldn't be afraid of. I know some of us have, have cringe-worthy responses to the gospel when we hear that because it's been so misused. But there is beauty in the gospel. This idea that righteous, that, that we can become something better than we are, that we can become something what we are meant to be, that we are a saved people, that we live by faith, not by what we do, that it's not a checklist, that we're not bound to get so many things done before we, go, before we can get into heaven, but that simply by claiming that there is something beautiful out there that we surrender to, we are part of a saved nation. And so, this gets us into, this concept of the gospel gets us into a lived theology. And the lived theology is that we become a unified church. And that is what the rest of Romans is about, is how to become unified and to share this gospel in in ways that make sense to reality, to the real world. So that's what we're going to be getting into as we keep diving into Romans. But today I just want to kind of lay that out to you and have you think on that. Some ways that what does it mean for you when you think of the word gospel? What comes to mind? What does it mean that that you need to be saved or that someone needs to be saved? 
What does it mean to have faith or to believe? How do you feel about that everyone is included in this gospel? So there's a lot to wrestle with there. And I want to specifically take this time and say, um, if you're questioning your relationship with God, if you're questioning this idea, have I been saved or have I given my life to God? What does that look like, right? Um, We all come from different backgrounds. Um, If that's something you want to have more of a conversation about, um, please contact me um, or contact someone else and just kind of dive into what that means because there's beauty in it. There's transformation in this idea that I need to be saved, but that God is willing to save me and make me part of His. There's some beauty in that. So hope that gives you something to think about. And We're going to keep um, pumping out these threadcasts and and diving through Romans and and seeing where it takes us because I'm excited about it because I think it's going to mean a lot for us at Common Thread. And, And if you're just listening, I hope it means a lot to you as well. Hope you have a great day. Grace and peace.